If you have your Bible this morning, you can go to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. We will be in 2 Corinthians and chapter 5, and we're going to be reading in just a moment verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have reached the sixth and final week of our values series, looking at the core values of New City Church. And we began five or so weeks ago with proclaiming grace, praying dependently, followed by living sacrificially, growing community, renewing family. And now today we finish with multiplying disciples. And I hope that what you will see there in our values is that there is a very intentional progression from beginning to end, and that there is a cyclical nature to these things as well, that they all pour into one another. But from the beginning, you've seen that our sure foundation in all that we do is the grace of Jesus Christ. And that that is what we proclaim, that that is what our lives are all about, is pouring forth that in our words and in our lives, and that we cannot do any of this life without leaning fully on the Lord. And so we pray to Him, we can talk to Him at any time, and we always do it with an attitude and a spirit of dependence. I need you, Lord. You are my sure rock and my sure foundation. And then when we see how amazing the gospel is and when we see that Jesus sacrificed everything for us, it doesn't move us to try to repay him because we never could. But rather when we see the love and the sacrifice that he had for us, it makes us want to live sacrificially as well out of thankfulness for what he's done and out of a desire to see the kingdom of God come here on earth and that others would experience that same kind of grace. It also not only leads us outwardly, but it leads us inwardly, and it allows us to have a new kind of community, to grow a kind of community that is centered around one thing, the name of Jesus, who he is. Of all the personalities and projects and tasks and popular things that there are in the world, we want to center our relationships around Jesus. It also points us towards our own families, and it gives us a desire as moms and dads, as grandparents, as aunts, uncles, as children, to renew the family, recognizing that the family is God's plan A. He loves the family. He has invited us to be a part of a family with him, and that regardless of what your family might look like or what scars you have experienced or difficulties that you have faced, you know that the Lord loves you and your family, and he has called you to pour your life into your people, your family, and that we want our church to have a family feel to it as well. And then now we come to the sixth and final, this idea of multiplying disciples, that not by our power or our ability, but by the matchless power and grace of King Jesus, that we might see disciples, that is followers of Jesus, multiplied. Only the grace of God can do that, but he has promised it, and we see it not only in the pages of Scripture, but we see it in our lives today as well, that Jesus has called us to be a part of multiplying disciples or followers of him. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, one of many passages that I considered for us this morning just to consider this idea of multiplying disciples, but this morning's passage gives us just an amazing picture of what that looks like. So let's look at the scripture now, beginning in verse 11, and I'll read through verse 21. This should sound very familiar to many of us. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen and amen. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious word of hope and of truth and of life, of new creation, of salvation. And Father, we pray that you would tune our hearts towards you this morning. Lord, help us to see our lives. Help us to see our world Help us to see reality through your eyes as we look to your holy and inerrant word this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three parts this morning, three parts to multiplying disciples that we will see as we walk through this passage. The motivation, the message, and the mission. The motivation, the message, and the mission. Number one, right off the bat, Paul, the author of this letter to the Corinthian church, says the motivation, Christ's love compels us. In the NIV, it says Christ's love compels us. In the ESV, Christ's love controls us. But you get the idea that this is our all-encompassing motivation. Look again at verses 11 and 12 and hear how he explains this to us. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. This passage here, Paul is writing a letter, and so you can see immediately there is a context, there is a situation that as Paul explains the gospel and our role in it, he is also explaining to the Corinthians a part of his life and his ministry. What he's saying here is, first of all, our motivation is who we are in Christ. That applied to him, that applied to those who were listening, that applies to us today as well. Who we are in Christ is our motivation. And the reason he's bringing this to light at this particular moment is Paul has, in in several occasions in Scripture, he has to have basically this same conversation where he's dealing with a specific group of people that were his contemporaries that were extremely anti-gospel. They were antagonistic to the good news of the gospel, and they challenged personally Paul's validity, not only as a Christian— but Paul's validity as an apostle, as an apostle. This group was called the Judaizers. And again, they pop up multiple places in the scripture, but the Judaizers constantly resist Paul, 
They resist the 12 apostles and they resist Jesus because they resist the gospel. And what they didn't like was this idea. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't like that idea. There are many among us today who do not like that idea. For them, what they desired to teach was that salvation was to be ethnically Jewish. To have a particular race as a Jew was the substance of their salvation and that their trying and in their heads succeeding in maintaining the Old Testament law and the bonus laws that they dreamed up themselves that in doing those things that they might earn God's favor by essentially doing good works. Paul is refuting that and he is reminding us of a very deep truth. Who you are is not in what you do. Who you are is in whose you are. Who you are is not in what you do, right or wrong. Who you are is in whose you are. Are you saved and loved and embraced by God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it's not your ethnicity. It's not your ability. It's not your career. It's not your salary. It's not your popularity. It's not your athletic ability. It's not your good deeds or your supposed self-righteousness. Your identity is in having a heart-level relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Son of God, and the Savior of sinners. Your identity is being a blood-bought, forgiven, beloved child of God. That is what Paul is teaching us here. And apparently, Paul had been accused over and over again in other places outside of Scripture of literally being crazy. Because he was teaching this gospel thing, he was called crazy. Get used to it, believers. He was called crazy constantly because of his passion for Jesus and even his passion when he taught and when he preached, they said that he was crazy. You know who else was told that he was crazy for what he taught? By his family, by his hometown, remember? Jesus, his own family, he's crazy initially until they came to know who he was. His own city rejected him, said he's crazy. He's out of his mind. I love how the, the NIV reads the, the same verse. Listen to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 5. This is 13 through 15 again. This is how Paul this is in the NIV. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. He's speaking of Jesus. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the motivation, first of all, is who we are in Christ. And now the motivation is what Christ has done for us. You see the difference? Christianity is not what can I do for God. Christianity is not how can I impress God? How can I earn God's favor? How can I be a good enough person and do a good enough amount of things or impress society enough? That is not what the scripture says. Our motivation is what Christ has done for us. And you see what Paul does here. Paul takes their vicious accusation and he, he really turns it into a beautiful motivation. Yeah, I'm crazy. I'm crazy for the Lord And it has driven me to be crazy for you. And what I mean by crazy is I'm passionate and I love the Lord Jesus. And therefore, even though you treat me like trash, I will love you as well. 
It's incredible the way that Paul responds, and we are called to follow in his footsteps. The love of Jesus compels us. It controls us. It empowers us to love him and to love one another. And then he gives the the nuts and the bolts. He says, because when Jesus died, sin's penalty was paid. And so those who believe in him and follow him, their sins are paid for and they die with him. And what they die to is a life of self-serving. What we die to is a life, we die to our self-destructive life. When we follow Jesus to the cross, we follow him in his death and the things that we die to are things that we don't want to be a part of our lives anymore. And then we're reborn says John chapter 3, through the resurrection of Jesus, and we have been given new life to serve him and to serve others. Our motivation, again, is Jesus' self-sacrificial love for us. I have, um, I've never needed glasses until I started church planting. I've never needed glasses until this last uh, year and a half. Um, I was on an airboat ride last night, and I took a, took a selfie with John and my friend Alan, and uh, I looked at the selfie later, and it was appalled to see when the wind is really blowing my hair back, the peaks are higher than I am comfortable admitting. I used to have this cool blonde streak down the center of my head, and in truth, it really is now just a gray streak, and the peppers are coming in on the sides, and frankly, my back hurts more and more. I have 14 months until 40. I I am not in a midlife crisis yet. When I hit one, Alana will let you know. My my point, though, is this. I'm not guaranteed this afternoon. None of us are. Or I might live to be 91 like my grandfather. Jesus might return this afternoon. He might return a thousand years from now. We know he will return. We just don't know when. But I know this, and I feel this deeply within my soul. Whatever time I have, my motivation is one thing. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I want to live out that truth. I want others to know it. I want my city to know it. I want my church to know it. I want my world to know it. I'm only one person. I'm not Jesus. Thank goodness I'm not Jesus. But he is alive, and that's what I want to be a part of. The love of Christ compels me compels me. I, I love this scripture. This came into my head this week. This is Psalm 37, 25. Look at this on the screen. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. What's that mean? God's love never fails. We sing a song that says exactly that. God's love expressed through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life, never fails. Fact, regardless of what you are going through, God's love is bigger, it is better. Christ's love compels us. Amen? Let me make one theological observation for you as well here about salvation, something to keep in mind. Paul says, the scripture says, one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all, that those who live should live for him. Obviously the he here is Jesus, but Jesus here uh, and Paul here is not teaching. They are not teaching universalism. 
just so we are clear. Universalism, if you're not familiar with that term, is the completely unbiblical, this idea is foreign to the pages of Scripture, but it would be the idea that all of humanity, regardless of your response to God, regardless of your faith, regardless of your response to God's offer of salvation, that all of humanity will automatically somehow go to heaven. That is not what this passage is teaching. That is not what any passage in, in Scripture is teaching. The all in this passage is all believers. All believers who die with Christ, who now are resurrected with Christ. They are the ones experiencing the blessings of the gospel. Uh, we know if universalism were true, then there would be no one in hell, and that would be fantastic. But we know, again, from the Scripture that there are people in hell. We know that God is a God of grace and of justice, and that He has called all people to respond to His message of salvation. So Jesus died on the cross, and that salvation was made available. A helpful way to understand it is that the, the reach of the gospel is universal in its scope, all people. It is available to all people, but it is particular in its application. Who receives the application? Well, those who believe. The death of Jesus on the cross, to put it another way, was sufficient for all. Jesus' blood is not lacking. His perfection is not lacking. His capacity is his sufficient for all people, but it is efficient. It is applied to the elect the language of Scripture, to God's people, to all those who will believe, both because God must first call your dead heart to life and because you are held responsible and you must respond to God's call and believe in saving faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, the message. Paul wants to be clear on what is the message of the gospel. The message is this, you can be a new creation in Christ. And we see this in verses 16 through 19. He says in verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, the surface, the outward. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. No longer is an important phrase. Paul himself had stopped finally making superficial judgments based on outward appearances, which he says is fleshly or having actually a worldly point of view. The world tells us to judge people according to their outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. This is in many ways a restatement of what he said in verse 12, that we are no longer simply these outward things. We are no longer simply our nationality. We are no longer simply our heritage. We are no longer in Christ simply our race. We are no longer in Christ simply our gender. Now, every single one of those things is a good gift from the Lord. Be thankful for them. Every single one of them is ordained and gifted to you by God, but they are secondary says the scripture, to your new identity because you have been made a new creation. He's saying that in this particular case, that the Jew or Gentile distinction, what are you, is less important for Paul and from the scripture than are you a believer or have you not yet come to believe in Jesus? At the end of the day, there are two kinds of people on planet earth, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And if you are one who does know Jesus, then our desire is not to lord it over those who don't, but for them to come to know that same saving grace and faith. Paul says this explicitly in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is not canceling out the good gifts of who he has made you. He is saying that you are a new creation and that your highest identity is that you've been invited into the family of God, that you've been forgiven, not by anything that you've ever accomplished, but simply by the goodness and grace of Jesus. Paul spent the first half of his life not understanding that. That's why it's so important to him, and it's so important to us in our culture, in our world today as well. See, Paul thought that because he was Jewish, because he was educated, because he had Roman citizenship, because he was a Pharisee, because he kept their laws, that he was going to gain relationship with God based on those checked boxes. Yet on the Damascus Road, he met someone for the first time. Who did he meet? Jesus. He met God for the first time. He did not meet God in all of the things that he was doing. When he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road and he was knocked back in a blinding light off of his donkey and fell to the ground, Jesus said to him, Saul, why do you persecute me? And therein lies the great reality that all of his self-righteousness was as filthy rags before a holy God. In truth, what was Paul? His name was Saul at that time. What was he at that time? He was a murderer. He was literally a murderer of Christians. And Jesus confronts him with the reality of his sin and calls him to life, calls him to salvation. And it is at that moment that Saul became Paul. His sins were taken away. They were paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. And he gave the rest of his life to tell others about that same grace. And so this is not some sort of mathematical equation. This is not some sort of distant or esoteric philosophy when he says in verses 17 through 19, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. New creation. And if Jesus and the gospel is new to you even today, I have good news. In fact, I have good news for everybody this morning. Good news, your sin is so much worse than you ever imagined. But good news, even better news, the grace of God is so much better than you ever imagined. There's no sin that you can commit that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot overcome. But you've got to go to him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your sins can be washed away. Your old life can be left behind, and you can be a new creation. This is literally a second act of creation. Same God. He created you. He will recreate you. Sin is not God's fault. It's my fault. It's our fault. But the old set of conditions of sin resulting in death and judgment has passed away through Jesus, and there is now a new set of conditions, reconciliation, or restored relationship with a holy God who has been offended by your sin. That has been taken away. And so when a person becomes a Christian, they are given a new life. They, they receive a new leader, in Jesus Christ. They have a new purpose. They have a new way of thinking. 
as they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the results, the instant results of salvation is this big word, reconciliation. This is a Bible word, reconciliation. Understand, reconciliation is not just tolerating someone. Okay, fine. You're here. That's great. I don't like it, but whatever. That's not reconciliation. Um, it is not a de-escalation of hostilities. That's not what reconciliation is. It is a complete removal of your enemy status with God, and it is being replaced with a situation where you are now completely loved and embraced by God as a father. That's reconciliation. See, because we were at war with God because of sin. We don't think of our sin as that big of a deal, but sin has made us at war with God, enemies of God, separated from God, says the scripture, because we rebelled against him and we rejected him. When did this begin, you ask? Adam and Eve. And don't blame Adam and Eve, because if you had been there, you would have done the same thing. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we all fell. And since then, the perversion, the hatred, the lying, the wickedness is ever before a holy and righteous God. So if you want to understand enemies, right, see Israel and Hamas this week for details. If they succeed in day three now of a ceasefire, that's not reconciliation, right? They have been fighting and hating one another since Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 16. For about 4,021 years, they have hated one another. It doesn't hold a candle to what sin has done to separate us from God. And God is not only the source of reconciliation, he is the completer of reconciliation, he was the instigator of reconciliation, and he is the ultimate source of your reconciliation, meaning he's the goal of it. When you're reconciled, you are reconciled to him. We were separated from him, but we have been reconciled. That's why Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine any human scenario where someone who is truly an enemy becomes a son or a daughter. There really is no equivalent in, in this life. We cannot imagine how great is the grace of Jesus. And that is the message that we share. He reached out to you in love when you didn't want it and you didn't deserve it. And when you accept his free gift, you get relationship with God in heaven for all eternity. And the cost is free. Fully accomplished and ordained in love by Jesus, but it must be accepted, believed, and embraced by you. Third and finally, there is the mission. We've, we've been given the motivation Paul has explained to us the message, and now we have the mission. We are Christ's ambassadors. Who is we? Believers. Those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We are Christ's ambassadors, says verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 
I debated between using the word mission here or, or method, and the reason is this. God could have chosen a different method for people to hear and receive the good news of Jesus, but this is what he chose to do. He chose to make you the method. He chose to make us a part of the mission. Now, it is his mission. We are invited into it, but understand, he did not have to use us. The Bible says in the Old Testament, if we don't praise God, what? The very rocks will cry out in praise. God does not need us to do evangelism, but he wants us to do evangelism. He wants us to be a part of sharing the good news. We are the proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the messengers. To be an ambassador is to be a personal representative here on earth. So we speak the words of Jesus. We live out the realities of who Jesus is and we seek to reflect him. And we are, the Bible says, the hands and the feet of Jesus. Not that we are perfect. Jesus is perfect. But then in all that we say and do that we might clearly communicate Jesus. If you have any other mission than Jesus, make it secondary. Put it in submission to this one. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You have pretty feet. That's weird. What a beautiful thing it is when with your hands and your feet, your life and with your words that you communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus to the people around you. Our mission at New City is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, We did not think that up. This is not an original idea on my part or anybody else's. We got this from the Bible, right? The great co-mission. We are joined to him in mission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 To all believers, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Every church that names Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is their mission. If they give you some other mission, then they are wrong. Jesus is clear about what our mission is. Now, the words that they choose to express exactly how does the mission state fall out, that's fine. But the mission is this, to make disciples who will follow Jesus, to multiply disciples. And just so we're clear, this idea of discipleship, making followers, new followers of Jesus, growing in our own following of Jesus, it begins with the very first evangelistic conversation, the very first time that you and someone who doesn't know Jesus begin to have a conversation about Jesus, that is the beginnings of discipleship. As believers, when we gather together in community together and we talk and we learn from the scripture about who Jesus is and how to follow him and we experience his grace and his love in our lives more and more, that's discipleship. We do it together, always, together. And discipleship does not end until the day that we see Jesus face-to-face in heaven. Now, I've told you that each of the last five, now six weeks, that I want to give you a very specific application for you to try and begin to live out even this very week. So here is this week's 
application as we consider this incredibly profound calling, I want to challenge you to do this, to identify and move towards someone that you know needs to know Jesus personally. I want to encourage you to identify and begin to move towards someone who needs to know Jesus personally. It may seem like a lofty goal. Understand, it is not about you. Hallelujah, praise God. It is not about you. It is about Jesus. What a gift it is, though, to be able to share. But let me break it down into two very simple steps. One, pray. If you are not already, begin to pray for that person, and you can even recruit other people to pray with you for that person. It's very simple. We can all pray dependently because, again, it's about God's grace. He saves people. I do not save people. Uh, God gave me two unexpected opportunities just this week, divine appointments, if you will, to be able to share with my words and my actions a little bit about the good news of Jesus. And we'll see where the Lord takes it, and, and I just want to be faithful to those opportunities. Secondly, what you can do is, again, very simple, begin a conversation. Begin a conversation about Jesus. <clears throat> For some of us, it is easy to begin the conversation and very hard to sort of bring it to Jesus. Um, for some of us, it's just hard to begin a conversation. I understand that. Be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is within you. You have the power of God within you. The Holy Spirit is the one who will awaken that dead heart to life, just like he did for you. Pray and share. Because here's the good news again. For your sake... The Bible says, God the Father sent his son Jesus to bear the punishment of sin that you and I both deserve so that you can spend, so that we can spend eternity in heaven with God. That's what verse 20 and 21 is telling us. This stuff matters. It matters more than anything else because death is real for all of us. Haley and Ashton lost their dad uh, on Friday. Um, Heidi lost her dad several months ago, but we said goodbye to him at Cape Canaveral um, National Cemetery also Friday morning. It's not fun, right, when you lose people. There is a deep grief. And I always try to do my best to encourage people to face that grief. It is tragedy when you lose someone, regardless of the circumstances. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Amen? Their dads are with Jesus right now, face to face. And they're experiencing things that we can only imagine. This matters. There is a way. There's only one way. And you can follow Dan. And you can follow Lou and be where they are right now. It's only through Jesus. You don't have to live the perfect life, you don't have to have a checklist of accomplishments. You have to trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's what the Bible is telling us here. Sin is not minor mistakes. It's cosmic treason. And God loved you so much that despite you running away, he has made a way for you to come back. There's one way. It's Jesus. You say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save me. I'm tired of trying to do it my way because every time I try and do it my way, it doesn't work. So I'm taking myself off the throne of my life and I'm putting you, Lord Jesus, on the throne. You spend eternity with Jesus.
Let's take a moment. Let's pray together.